welcome to The Truth In This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today, I have the privilege of chatting with a fine artist, educator, sculptor. Please welcome Cindy Chang. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Rob. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for being here. And well prepared. <laughs> that was great. That was great. Um, so I want to start off. Um, one, I, I dig. I dig your work. It's 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 great. It was like I was looking at it, it was. Um, I'm and please correct me what I'm going to say here, but I just remember it was like a finger, and I was like, okay, I, I need that. I need that as a gauntlet somehow. So when I grab the mic, you just see metallic. It's like it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Um, so, but I, I said a few bullet points that I found online, and I want to have you um, introduce yourself and tell us how you got started in the arts and maybe your first experience in art making. Sure. Um, so. I got started, actually, I got started a little bit later. Um, I didn't really do much sort of studio work until I, I think I was like a sophomore in college, and um, uh, I needed to take a requirement, um, and I, I had to take an art class, and my roommate had taken, Jen, my roommate, um, had taken uh, drawing one class, and it looked pretty fun, you know, like she was doing some crazy things, and um, so I decided that I would take that drawing class to fulfill this, um, I forget what kind of requirement it was, but it was, it, you know, it was something. Um, and it was, uh, I was a little salty, honestly, about having to take it because I thought it would be like kind of just a waste of time, yeah. you know? Um, and I had so much fun in it. And I had an amazing uh, instructor, Carlene Sheehan. I still, she's wonderful. Um, she's also a great artist. Um, but she was so like, uh, nurturing and supportive and like really encouraged people to be experimental and open um, and inquisitive, you know, in a way that was like super different than all of my other classes, um, which I went to a liberal arts college. So it was very, you know, like everything was like academic, you sure. know. Um, and then I found that I, I do actually weirdly enjoy writing essays, but I enjoy I enjoyed making images more. So I switched uh, tracks. Um, and so that drawing class uh, really sort of opened the doors for studio practice for mm -hmm. me. Um, but then, like, so, you know, I, I, I became a studio arts major, graduated college, um, but then I didn't really make work for, like, four or five years after that because... I just didn't feel the need to do it, so I, I just kind of like stopped, you know? Um, and I did a little bit of, of travel, and then I'm from Hong Kong originally, so I went back to Hong Kong um, to stay with my family, and I got a job. Um, and then I slowly started to make work again um, and realized that I really missed it, you know, um, and that I wanted to sort of reinvest myself um, in studio practice. So actually, Carlene Sheehan, my drawing teacher, yeah. we had kept in touch, and she was like, you really should apply for the post-baccalaureate program at MICA. Um, I think it would be a good fit for you. Baltimore's a really interesting town. It's got a great art scene. It you does. know, Yeah, it does. She was 100% right. And um, she was like, the post-bac program is good because um, 
you know, it's like a one-year program. It's less of a time commitment. You know, you can uh, sort of uh, just sort of find your way and see if this is really what you want to invest your time and energy into. Um, and then if you do, then you can pursue, you know, an MFA or you can just sort of like establish your own practice, whatever, you know. Um, so I followed her advice and I came to Baltimore to do the post-baccalaureate program at MICA. Um, and it was an amazing experience. It was a really formative year. Um, I had a great time in the studio. It, I grew a lot and I played a lot. Um, Bill Schmidt was our... Uh, uh, director of the program, um, along with Linda Bills, um, who's his sort of like, you know, partner in crime co-director. And they were wonderful. And we had a, a great sort of slew of visiting artists. My cohort was amazing. I met my husband. <laughs> um, and then it just sort of like, I, I went from there, you know, and then I ended up also doing my MFA, um, at MICA, uh, in the Mount Royal School, um, which is like the interdisciplinary program, which is where I started. So I was doing a lot of like uh, drawing and just sort of like, you know, two dimensional image making, pretty traditional, um, but it was really fun, you know, but then when I got to my um, MFA program, I was really pushed to um, expand uh, my, my practice and my language and, uh, you know, really interrogate what drawing could mean, you know, um, why was I making an image, you know, all of this kind of like really fundamental stuff that I had just taken for granted. Sure. And so um, that was when I started to um, do things that were a little more sculptural, you know, and it was like small kind of, you know, uh, experiments at first that slowly began to become more and more more object oriented and then spatial, you know? So yeah, that was kind of my trajectory. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a really, it was really unpredictable. You know, like I had an idea that I was going to sort of go from, uh, high school into college for like, you know, English lit, you know, or something like that. And then I don't know, I was like interested in journalism, you know, but, um, it just didn't pan out that way. So well, sometimes it's it's uh, not the direct path which gets you to the place yeah. you need to be at. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I wanted Absolutely. to be an astronaut when I was a kid. Oh, that's a great dream. And I'm a podcaster now. How does that work? <laughs> uh, maybe I can combine the two when I'm you know, a couple <laughs> years from now. It's like, yeah. Well, they need chroniclers, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sure. You're, yeah. you know, the truth in the space. Like, no, that's terrible. Actually. <laughs> Uh, just a lot of me eating paste. I don't, I don't know. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You know, dipping dots. Dipping um, dots, yeah. So so is this true? I, I read that you enjoy puzzles mm -hmm. and are interested in learning more about your what your friends collect. Uh, have you learned anything about your friends from learning about what they enjoy collecting? And secondly, um, do you consider yourself a creative problem solver? Um, okay. So my friends, you know, I have, so my friend Marianne um, actually collected things for me. She collected some teeth um, because she knows that I use weird things in my, in my work, yeah. you know. Um, but I think, like, as artists, we all accumulate. Like, we're kind of like pack rats, you know. Um, and I think that accumulation is really kind of important for um, sort of just like, you know, either you look at it for inspiration or, you know, it, it sort of um, makes its way into your paintings or your drawings or your, you know, they become props, you know, or they become part of assemblages or whatever. They're a cast of characters that you can bring into your work to, to play a role, you sure. know. 
Um, so I think that uh, we have a natural tendency to hoard. Um, and I think that uh, for me personally, like my collections um, have evolved a lot throughout my sort of studio practice, depending on um, sort of my interests, you know, yeah. um, particularly my material interests, you know. Um, uh, although recently with the with the whole conspiracy theory stuff, like I'm, I'm starting to, my collections are changing again. Um, but I, with my friends, uh, I think I was able to see that more in grad school, you know, because our studios were together. Once we graduated, um, you know, I'm, uh, my studio is over in Greektown. Mm -hmm. And while there are quite a few people there, we're pretty sort of keep to ourselves. So I haven't been able to actually like go into people's studios and then the pandemic hit and all that stuff, you know. Um, but I do think when we were in school and we were spending a lot of time in each other's studios, I did learn a lot about people from their collections. Um, I have a fantastic uh, artist friend who ended up going back to, she's from Maine, she's an amazing gardener, and she and her husband, John, um, her name is Sarah, ended up going back to Maine um, where they started a brewery, um, and she has this, like, I guess you, I mean, it's kind of like a farm. Like, she has a farm, yeah. you know, where she grows, like, flowers, and they grow their own hops and stuff like that. But anyway, she's a great collector, you know, and she really knows how to nest, you know, so her collections, I feel like, make their way into her living spaces. Mm -hmm. um, but I felt like that was part of how I got to know her, you know. Yeah. Um, my other good friend who used to be my studio mate, um, John Latiano, who's an amazing artist, is also another, like, really refined collector. I'm, I'm like, kind of slash and burn collecting you know like yeah. i just i just like hoard and there's very little <laughs> rhyme or reason john is like a curator you know it is pristine and it reflects i think his personality and his way of thinking yeah. you know um so i do think that the way people orient themselves to the objects around them and what they choose to keep you know yeah. like i do think that says something about their personality who they are what their interests are you know how they think and function in the world you know yeah that's that's great i mean i, I look at uh some of the stuff that i have i i get rid of cables very quickly it's like this looks ugly and talking about as far as like my my practice and doing this audio stuff and if a cable looks weird it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> but I have, like, I have my original mixer from, like, 2009. Yeah. That's still sitting there. That's awesome. The tech is dead. It's trash. <laughs> One of my buddies wrote something stupid on there, and I oh. left it on it. He, uh, he put a sticker on it, and he called it a universal fart machine. And I was like, oh. sure. I was like, yeah, sure. That's exactly what that is that I'm putting my hopes and dreams into. Yeah. Uh, so the other part of it, uh, do you do you do you fashion yourself as a creative problem solver? Um, yeah, I mean, anyone who has, I think everybody is a creative problem solver, mm -hmm. really. You know, I mean, you kind of have to be, right? You would think. Uh, yes, I had to MacGyver this situation earlier because I yeah. did not have an SD card at work. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah, I think like any time, any problem solving is creative problem solving. You know, even if it's like. I don't know, something that's very technical or very practical or something like that. I, I feel like it's kind of rare to just exactly follow the instructions. You're always making little changes or you're doing something that's responding to a nuance of the situation mm -hmm. or something like that. You lose a, you know, you lose a tool that you need and you have to like MacGyver it or yeah, whatever, yeah. you know. So I think to some extent everyone creatively problem solves. I don't think that you can function well without being able to do that. 
And I think that's huge here because we have a lot of makers, a lot of DIY stuff, yeah, and yeah. there's a lot of also a lot of scarcity. Yeah. So out of necessity, it's like I gotta figure out a different way to do this. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, it's not gonna happen. Yeah. Anyone who has to like, absolutely. I mean, I think scarcity is a big thing, right? Like anyone who has to like survive on not enough needs to creatively problem solve, you mm-hmm. know, or else how do you survive, you know? Sure. So I think maybe some people have to do it more. And it's it, like for me, creative problem solving for the most part is quite, quite pleasurable, you know, because I'm doing it in the studio, you yeah. know, but I think for some for some folks, it's it's not so much a pleasure. It's like a, a real life thing, yeah. you know, that you have to you just have to do, but you're still doing it, you know, Absolutely. so, yeah. So. Like many artists that I've interviewed, you have you have you have Micah connection. You have the Micah connection, yeah. and uh, Baltimore has become your your adopted home. Uh, what makes Baltimore really stick for you? Like, what and how is it being an artist here? Yeah, I mean, so you know, before I came to Baltimore, I, I think that the longest amount of time that I ever spent in a city was four years and then I would move, you know, and I've been in Baltimore since 2008, you know, so I know. So there is something about Baltimore that I just, and every time I think about leaving, I'm just like, I can't leave, you know, and I think part of it is like, you know, as an artist, like what you said, you know, as an artist, Baltimore is a really amazing city. You know, we have incredible makers and creative thinkers here. We have insane resources for the size of the city. Everyone is very warm and welcoming and friendly. You know, like I've entered various different sort of like creative spaces that sometimes they don't really overlap. Like I work at Baltimore Clayworks, you know, and I'm doing stuff at the Jewelry Center now, you know, and I work at Pyramid Atlantic doing paper. And like, like maybe some people know each other, but they don't really overlap that much. But everyone is very welcoming, you know, yeah. and it's like it hasn't been um, stressful or weird to enter those places for the first time. You know, it's accessible. I think Baltimore is is still a city where um, you can get space for you know, it's it's still affordable, yeah. you know, you can get some space, right? If you're lucky like me and have a full-time job, you can get a really nice <laughs> space, yeah. you know? So, but I wouldn't be able to do this, I think, in New York. Like, it would be a very different equation, you know? It's accessible in that way where yeah. you, you have some big city accessibility and some sometimes those those resources aren't allocated in a way that's indicative of the population at yeah. times and yeah. that kind of stinks but i think also people are really being able to do a lot with minimal yeah. um that are there and there is this this hope and this desire that you can get to something like you know this is a project that's not really funded or have you mm-hmm. and I can figure it out. Yeah. Like, you know, having this as a space, having yeah. a salary as you were touching on. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I can just, I can afford my equipment and put all of my stuff in a little fanny pack and yeah. boom, that's the studio. Yeah. Studios wherever yeah. I'm at. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You make it work, you know, and the city allows you to make it work, you know. So I think that has been a big reason why I've stayed, you know. Mm-hmm. And I also love the people, you know. Like, I, I really haven't met anyone, well, I mean, 
I'm human. I dislike some people, but like for the most part, <laughs> I I really I I've loved most of the people that I've met here. You know, like I've made some really great friends, and even people who have moved away, I still keep in touch with, and I don't do that usually. Community I, is know. a thing here. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it really is, and um, you know, it's really it's really wonderful. I can't imagine leaving. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to make audible gasp a part of my uh, podcast. Whenever <laughs> someone says something, I'm just. Try- <laughs> All my stars and guards are just grabbing my pearls, clutching my pearls. Uh, so I, I read that you're a 2017 Sondheim Award winner. Yeah. How how is your career and reckon and, and change from that recognition? And could you share some of the more memorable highlights of your career so far? Yeah. Um, so that was the big, the first kind of like big award that I, I've won. Like, up until then, I was shocked, you know, because I usually don't, like, I wasn't winning anything, you know, like, I would get a, a show here and there, mm-hmm. but it was overall just like, oh, I'm just doing this for myself, you know, like, I don't really have an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was really surprising and really wonderful. And I mean, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a decent monetary award, you know, and so that helped me a lot. And 2017, I think I had just gotten hired full time. So I was still, you know, I was still a little strapped for cash. And mm-hmm. like, it, it really helped me make some work, you know. Um, and I upgraded my studio. It was it was wonderful. I mean, just professionally, um, for my practice, it was it was a game changer, you know, and I also used um, some of that money to go to some um, uh, summer workshops at the craft schools. So yeah. I went to Haystack and I went to Aeromont. And I learned some skills there that have become really fundamental to what I'm doing now. So that was also a game changer, you know. So, yeah, I mean, that just just getting I mean, getting some hard cash is big, you know, and people can if you're if you, you know, put that towards your practice or towards bills or whatever, it can really smooth the way and like help you sort of make some new discoveries in your work, you know. Um, and then also, I mean, it was like, it was a morale bump, right? Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I feel like most of us are probably better than the general public with dealing with like rejection just because it's such a big part I of. I can't take it at all. <laughs> oh, everyone sure, hates sure. me. Oh, yeah, I don't want to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it does take a toll on your like, you know, your self-esteem, your, your sort of just motivation. So getting something like that, I was like, okay, I can, I I had more steam in the tank, you know? So Hmm. yeah. So that was really nice. So that's a natural segue right there. You would think you, you had the questions at one point. Um, (laughs) So, so with that, this is, this is a really apt question to ask. Uh, I've heard about taking breaks, um, but doing something, I think the recent version of I've heard is you take a break, but do something that's still creative but not necessarily your practice Mm -hmm. but you still want to keep your mind sharp in that way yeah what are your your thoughts around that and how do you overcome creative burnout yeah I mean so uh, like I mentioned earlier I I took a big break after undergrad um so it was like a years-long break and I got the job that I got was working at a gallery, but it wasn't it it didn't have much to do with like the actual art stuff. Like I was writing a lot of press releases. Um, I was doing a lot of the writing, you know, and um, I didn't really have uh, much contact with like the artists or anything like that. So it was a very different sort of aspect of the art world, I guess, you know, and it was also in Hong Kong, which um, I think Hong Kong's art scene has made a lot of sort of um, has grown a lot recently. 
Um, but back in like, when was this, like 2005 or something like that, um, it was still relatively small and um, insular. So it was a very different kind of vibe, you know, but um, it did, it was still creative, you know, and it did, it was challenging. Um, and I was learning how to speak Cantonese, which I'm terrible at speaking Cantonese. And so I was like working on that too. You know, I'm still terrible. It didn't really Me succeed, too. but Me too. <laughs> yeah, we're probably at the same level. <laughs> um, so, so that was, that was really good. But actually being, being around all of the art, um, even though I, I didn't personally maybe like a lot of it, you know, but being around sort of that, that creativity, you know, and seeing work coming in and, and like, you know, um, cause I would be there for like shipments and stuff like that. It did get me back into the mindset of like, Oh, I actually, I kind of miss it, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I want to be one of the artists. I don't necessarily want to be the one writing the press releases, yeah. you know? Um, so I think, I think maybe, maybe I was burned out after, after college, you know, um, I work pretty hard, you know, so, so, you know, burnout is just kind of a thing. Um, and I needed that break, but staying in an art sort of adjacent job, um, uh, help keep my sort of head in the game, you know, yeah. and then when I was sort of like mentally ready to get back into it, it was right there, you know? I dig it. Yeah. yeah so I think that was, that was a really, um, nice way to use that time, I think, you know, and, uh, and then I think it's also, you know, there's multiple ways to deal with burnout because like, you know, like right now I'm kind of burned out from school, you know, <laughs> like I know, right? shocker. Um, and especially with like just COVID and everything, it's been, it's been, I mean, I think everyone is burned out. I feel you know? like we never had a real, because I, I work in higher ed yeah. as well. And I've been mentioning, I was like, I don't know if we've had a, you know how you, you get to the, the end of the year and it's like, oh, everything is smooth. Not really. No, I, no, I don't think we've really had a breather, you know, for mm -hmm. like two and a half years or something like that. So I think everyone's just like, like really kind of fried. And so to deal with that, like, I mean, I don't feel like I need to stop making work. I just need a different, like a change of pace, you know, and I think that might be a good way to deal with burnout as well. And it's something that I've done in the past. Like when I was, uh, uh, adjuncting, um, there was a lot of burnout with that too, because it's a, it's a grind, mm -hmm. you know, and it's a different type of labor, but it's really intense. And so after a few years of doing that, I was just like, I can't do this anymore. You know, like it, it was just so hard and it, I was like really poor, <laughs> like, you know, it was just like really hard. And then, and the instability of it all, oh man, it was just like really tough, you know, and we didn't have a union at the time. So it was real hard. And, um, uh, so I applied to residencies and I ended up getting a residency at Anderson Ranch in Colorado oh, wow. and I was not going to take it because I was afraid of losing my part-time jobs, you know, my, my teaching jobs. Cause I was just like, if I don't teach for a semester, I'm going to lose those yeah. positions. And I, I worked really hard to establish that, you know? So I was talking to my chairs and um, I was telling them this and they were excellent. They were like, that's 
you know, ridiculous. And <laughs> you should absolutely go and do this. And, you know, don't forget that uh, you're here to teach art, you know, and you need to foster your own practice to teach it, you know. Um, so you can't sacrifice that and the jobs will be here for you when you when you get back, you know which was really wonderful. Yeah. Um, so I took a semester off and I went to, from teaching and I went to Anderson Ranch and just focused on my practice and that was like rejuvenating, you know. And that, that's a thing that is is needed and I'm glad that you had that, that opportunity to, to do that because uh, even what I'm doing, I talk to artists, I talk to, I, I just talk. And, uh, but I think being able to dive into maybe things to expand my mind or what have you yeah. like consuming books I don't know if I really sit there and read but I'll put the audio book on and yeah, I'll yeah, yeah. make that happen and it's just like oh, okay I'm hearing this for a reason oh that sparked that question that's yeah. an interesting insight and going there and being around other artists in other places like mm-hmm. the last time and I have some travel coming up but the last time that I traveled that's how I am able to get re-dipped and re-engaged yeah so that would be part of that for me as yeah. far as you don't want to ask the same stale questions. That's that's one of my biggest fear that either I mixed up someone or I asked like, yeah, so when you were making like uh, tambourines, right? It's like, <laughs> I don't make those. Oh, word. Uh, boom. So, you know, I, that, that's a thing. And I think when like so this is my so I do three podcasts. This is one of the other podcasts that I do. And they kind of serve because they require different things of me. Mm -hmm. Like this is, you're talking with another person and it's not really improv. It's kind of structured. There are questions, there's formats there, you know, it's that. And then the other one is I'm just improving, taking news stories and trying to make things funny. Yeah. And the other one is, and that one is very time sensitive. And then there's another one where I'm like going over the history of movies and really breaking down the trivia. So they require different things, which, they're all in the same universe under an umbrella, but they are they require different things of me. And that's really cool. But I think with this one, not being around in the scene and kind of missing things because galleries weren't open mm-hmm. and people weren't putting out work in that traditional sense, you're kind of just having conversations and living by proxy and people's experiences. But I think as things have opened up and community is kind of communitying, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're able to see people and have substantive conversations that can later spark conversation yeah. and spark insights. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, part of the reason why uh, residencies are so important for writers and artists and musicians and, you know, anyone who has um, sort of creative production as part of their life is because of those those sort of communal you know, things, you know, like you meet new people with new ideas, you get to talk things over. And I do think it's very inspirational, you know, like you, you are, I I feel like it's inevitable that people are going to um, make an impact on the direction of your work, you know, Mm -hmm. make an impact on your patterns of thinking, you know, we, I, I feel like I, I definitely fall into habits, you know, um, and, you know, grooves get made and you just go down that same groove Those and it gets pathways. deeper and deeper, yeah. you know? Yeah. So having new ideas, um, alien ideas come at you, you know, that you would never have thought of yourself, you know, like that's, that's incredibly important to sort of like bump you out of those, those ruts, you know? So with that, I have one last question for you before yeah. I get to my rapid fire ones. You okay. don't even know about those. <laughs> so uh, this is the last real question I yeah. have for you. Do you embrace your strangeness, those you, those qualities that make you unique? 
How do you, how do you embrace it if you do? Uh, you know, I uh, I've never really thought about that before. I just kind of follow oh. what I'm curious about, yeah. you know, and I've never thought of myself as weird. Like I know some weird people, like like genuinely truly strange people and I love them like they're you know I have some friends who I'm just like these are the weirdest people I've ever met you know and they're wonderful you know and I I just like I'm super normal compared to them in my mind you know but then I also know myself and I've lived with myself my whole life so I don't think I'm weird you know um but I think that I have like you know I guess I have certain urges that are a little strange with my especially with my work you know um I like weird imagery, you know, um, I'm drawn to strange stories and phenomena, you know, um, okay. so now real quick. <laughs> um, and those things are, are just like really fascinating to me, but, and I, I follow them, you know, so I try not to censor myself too much, you know? Um, so maybe that facilitates sort of strangeness and the growth of that yeah. you know in the studio but i think in my normal life i'm like super ordinary i'm very like you know like not not very remarkable when i when i slide the glasses down, <laughs> it means i don't know if i agree but go on uh, okay yeah. I, I appreciate that I, I think the i think the strangeness and the uniqueness um kind of conversation that's that's one that i've that's really a, a question that i've been kind of balancing mm-hmm. and trying to understand because you know, like, mm, no one's going to do the same thing I'm doing. No one's going to view it and ask the question the same way I'm going to mm-hmm. ask it. And I was like, I need to really enjoy that that's just uniquely me. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that might not fit into everyone's concept of what a podcaster is, what a black podcaster, what a podcaster from Baltimore might be. Right. And I just have to live with that strangeness and yeah. enjoy that. I'm an Aquarius, so we got to be strange, gang. Yeah. 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 All right. So I got, I got some questions for you here. Okay, all right. So you know how rapid fire works. I do. You just ask me, and then I just answer, like immediately answer. Mm-hmm. And no they're thinking. very, they're very random questions. Okay, too. okay, let's do it. Um, I'm gonna start off yeah. out of order. Okay. Uh, are you a morning person or a night person? Uh oh! Ow, that's really hard because okay, okay. What's what's two a.m.? That's technically both, right? It, this is tough. This uh, is genuinely tough because I teach and all my classes are in the morning, uh-huh. so I have to get up in the morning. But I'm salty about it. So you're a night person. But then I have to go to bed at like ten o'clock because I got to get up at like five thirty. Oh, you're. You know? I but think, I'm salty about that, too. I think you're really a night person. I might be a night person yeah. who's being forced to be a, a morning person. You're just like a vampire that just can't commit. I get it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's fine. It's fine. Um, name a gadget that changed your life. Um, oh God, I hate to say like my my phone. Yes. Yeah, my phone. Because I listen to a lot of podcasts. You know, and like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the studio, I mm-hmm. I don't listen mm-hmm. to music. I'm not a music person. Okay. I know. I know. That's kind of shameful, especially in Baltimore, which is such a great music town. You're kind of skipping ahead there, Cindy. Oh, really? I don't like that. Okay. I don't like that. Um, <clears throat> music, podcast, <laughs> silence in the studio. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll frame it differently. What are you listening to currently? And there okay. is a wrong answer here. Oh, really? I mm-hmm. listen to all your podcasts. Oh, okay, great. See? Uh-huh. Tone the company line. I love it. I listen to a lot of so this is very um, responsive to my current interests uh, sure. in the studio, and I, so I've been listening to a lot of conspiracy 
podcast. And um, so, like, QAnon Anonymous is great, you know. Um, uh, cons- uh, what's it? Uh, oh, my God. Conspirituality is really good. Um, uh, American Hysteria is fantastic. I love American Hysteria, actually. I highly recommend. Um, it's it's really well-researched. Um, the I can't remember anyone's names, but the, the person who um, hosts and does all the production for it is just, like, such a great... Um, communicator and storyteller and their research is just like top notch. Um, I've started listening to um, Exvangelical, mm-hmm. um, Straight White American Jesus is very good. It's very specific. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. And um, uh, there's oh, there's a few more, but I can't remember their names. Um, oh, I, I did just start listening to one that's called High, was it Hi-Fi Nation? Hmm. Hi, Hi-Fi Nation, yeah. Um, and it's a podcast that uh, was created f- uh, by a philosophy professor at Vassar College. Um, and so it's philosophy uh, sort of um, explorations through narrative format, and it's really good. It's good for someone who I never took a philosophy class, mm-hmm. total, like, rube with philosophy. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, perfect for me. Okay. Yeah. Okay, you're gonna, I think you're going to like... I'm going to save the, my favorite two that I just added for last. Okay. So the next one is, um, describe your, your teaching style in five words or less. Anti-authority. <laughs> that was very quick. That was the most rapid of them all. Uh, <laughs> all right. Tell me a rumor that you want to start. Uh, um, a rumor I want to start. Oh, my God. Um, People always waffle on this one. It's great. Oh, jeez. Uh... Oh, I don't know. I'm so adverse to rumors. The truth in his art is the greatest podcast. No. <laughs> that would be a great. Really? Who said that? Cindy Chang said that? Oh, wow. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Do I get a pass? Sure. No, I don't, I don't get no. too many of those. No, on. no, no. I can't pass. That's, that's, that's lame. I can't pass. Hold on. Hold on. Give me a second. Um... The rumor, a rumor that I see, I'm not, you see, I don't, I don't have a lot of, um. Because conspiracy things stuck, stuck out for me. That's why I threw the rumor I know, question in. I know. And you would think that, but I, maybe because of this conspiracy research, I'm like rumor adverse, you know. <laughs> um, the rumor I would set out is that. <laughs> Robert is really Robert the doll. <laughs> <laughs> That's a creepy story. Is that a real? Oh uh, yeah, it was a doll that actually was uh, alive. That's the story, like Annabelle, but his oh name was Robert the doll. Really? Yeah, yeah. So nothing to do with you. No. Oh, okay. We just share a name. It's great. It's great. <laughs> okay, I can't think of anything. No worries. No worries. I can't worries. think of anything. Yeah. Um, then, then this one. Uh, this is the last one I have for you. Folklore or nonfiction, and if it is folklore. What is your favorite piece of folklore, like favorite story or what have you? Um, folklore, for sure. Yeah. Again, I think I've always liked folklore, but with this whole conspiracy thing and, you know, so much of it being almost, it is folklore, yeah, you yeah. know, like I think, I think my interest in it has just sort of amped up. I really enjoy um, anything that has to do with the occult. You know, um, I love it. I love it so much. And um, I can't think of anything specific, but I do really enjoy um, 
like, uh, you know, monsters, so like Chupacabra, you know, um, all of that kind of like Lovecraftian stuff, you know, I I love that kind of thing. Yeah, I play D&D, so this, it really, it really kind of like, you know, We're going to have a very nerdy conversation after this, I think. This is this has been great. Um, so uh, I want to thank you for being on this podcast. Oh my god, thank you for inviting me. And two, you're welcome. And two, I want to um, invite and encourage you to tell the fine folks where to check you out, your work, your website, all that good stuff. And thank you again. Wait, you want you want me to say something about my? Yeah, plug yourself. Plug oh, your, plug right. myself. Yeah, yeah. Um... Which sounded really weird. Can you promote yourself, please? <laughs> thank you. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I don't have a great website. Um, but I do have an Instagram. You do? That's how I, I do have an Instagram, and I'm very active on Instagram. Yes, you are. Yeah, and I so check my Instagram out. Um, do I need to give my like Tell handle? Me Instagram. Or, yeah. Uh, it's just Cindy HK Chang. Uh-huh. You can just look me up, maybe. Um, and uh, I, I show a lot of my. The real reason why I really enjoy Instagram is because I feel like artists have really taken to it. Um, and show their process and their practice. And I've learned a lot, actually, technical stuff um, mm-hmm. from Instagram, you know. Um, and I've also reached out to artists to ask them questions. Like if I'm having an issue with like something in ceramics or, you know, whatever, um, I've gotten a lot of advice from, yeah. from artists. So it's, yeah, it's really, it's really excellent. Um, yeah, it's great. So there you have it. Uh, hit Cindy up. Ask her a bunch of questions. Time for you to return a favor. <laughs> uh, so for Cindy Chang, I am Rob Lee saying there is art in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for it. <laughs>